Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 678 of the Juicebox podcast. On today's episode of the Juicebox podcast, we have another in the After Dark series. I'll be speaking today with Jen, who has type 1 diabetes and is the mother of three children. Her son, Nolan, had type 1 diabetes, and he also struggled with addiction. Jen does a very brave thing today, sharing Nolan's story with all of us, and I'd like to thank her right now for what must have been a very difficult hour. She was honest and open as she discussed Nolan's life and his struggles. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you are a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, spending a few minutes today at t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox taking their survey will help people with type 1 diabetes. t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Take the survey. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1, a wonderful organization doing amazing things for people with type 1 diabetes. Learn more about them on their Instagram page, their Facebook page, or at touchedbytype1.org. The podcast is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. Learn more, get started today, or just buy the thing at contournext.com forward slash juicebox. My daughter's meter is a great meter, and I think you're going to like it too. Contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Hello, my name is Jen. I am a type 1 diabetic and the mother of a recently deceased type 1 diabetic. Okay. Uh, Jen, I know you from the private Facebook group. And, yes. Um, how long have you been in that space? In the private Facebook group? Gosh, probably less, probably about a year. Okay. Um, Probably not that, yeah. Not not all that long. I think the group might not even be like two and a half years old. So you could have been okay. in there for a very long time and it not been that long uh, on the calendar. Sure. Um, I, I guess that my, well, I, I'd like to ask you a little bit about yourself first, I guess. Um, how old okay. are you now and how old are you? were you when you were diagnosed? So I was, um, I'm 48 years old now and I was diagnosed around age 40. Um, I have what they call LADA diabetes. I had a very slow onset. They thought that I was a type two until I almost died. Well, one doctor knew that I was a type one. Um, He tested me for the autoimmune antibody and um, I had that. And so he diagnosed me as type one. Mm -hmm. And I was around 40, 41 when that happened. Prior to that, were you struggling with diabetes and nobody had tested you? You know, I had I had gestational diabetes. Um, and no, I hadn't had it really tested other than the gestational. Um, my sugar stayed high after I had my baby. We don't really know how long I had high sugars. But I was having trouble with getting infections. Uh, I got pink eye, maybe 
20 times <laughs> and I it wouldn't, I just kept getting pink eye. And um, so they checked me and started me on metformin, which did not do anything. And I just continued to get sicker and sicker. Um, put me on a couple of other type two medications. And then I went into DKA and had to have, I got cholecystitis, which means my gallbladder had gallstones. And I had to have my gallbladder out. And they found out then that I was a type one. So they did, they finally did a fasting C-peptide and checked me and I was a type one. From the, so, from and the, then I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Nope, that's okay. Go ahead. I was going to say from the time that you began to not feel well, from, I guess the question is, from the time you were gestational to the time you realized something was wrong was how long? About five years. Okay. And then from that time yeah. until somebody told you you had LADA, how long was that? I'm sorry. So it was about, it was not feeling well continued after I had my child, my youngest. And it was about five years until they said that I had LADA diabetes. I see. Okay. Um, so, yeah. All right, Jen, I hate to say this because we went to so much trouble before we started, but I, I don't know if I like the headphones. <laughs> I might okay. I might you ask me you to try to, without? I might just ask you to go through the phone, yeah. Okay, one moment. Okay. That is not a problem at all. Thank you. I got to turn them off. Hold on a second. Okay, how's that? Yeah, it's probably going to be better. The The headphones strain. Okay. In your longer sentences, they strain. I, I don't know how to put that other than when you speak more than a few words, your 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 latter words in those sentences start to kind of drift away. So Okay. Yeah. Just, just a moment. Now, is it better now like this? Yeah, you're fine like that. Okay. Right. So I'll keep it off speaker and on the phone. Okay. Thanks. Um, yeah. It just sucks because you've got to be cognizant of your hair not touching the phone and like all kinds of little things that make noises and like whatever that is and like, you know, that kind of stuff. So just sure. do your best sure. to find a spot where you're comfortable. Um, okay. Okay. So you this all happened after your youngest. So how many children have you had? I have three children. Three. I had Nolan, Patrick, and Lemon is my youngest. What are their ages? So Lemon is 13. Mm -hmm. Um, Patrick is 21 and Nolan passed at age 24, just a couple of weeks after his 24th birthday. Nolan right after his 24th. Okay. And you were about 24 when you had Nolan? Yep. I was 23. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you have type one diabetes. Um, had Nolan been diagnosed at this point yet? Yeah, he was, he was diagnosed before I was, he was diagnosed at age seven. Okay. Oh, long and time. yeah, I think if he hadn't been diagnosed, I likely would not have even gone to the doctor for what was going on with me. I would have just chalked it up to being old. Being old. I don't know how. Yeah. Old, I don't know how old you are at 30, 30 some years old, but I hear what you're saying. Well, <laughs> but with the first time you're thirty, you don't know what it's like to be thirty. Yeah. So. No, I understand. I it just would have seemed like oh, I guess this is the path of my health, and right. Yeah, it's what it's right. going to be. Right. I understand. So um, let's talk a little bit about when Nolan was diagnosed. How did you figure that out? Well, that was interesting. He was, he was getting infections that wouldn't go away. And I had taken him to the pediatrician. Oh, gosh. 
it seems like every other week. I was in nursing school and I remember I just took him to the pediatrician so much because he had sinus infections and then he had this big swollen parotid gland. So that's right on your jawbone. Mm. And he just had his face was uneven. And so I took him in and they said, well, huh, I don't know. I don't know what this is. And we did some blood work. He did like a complete blood count. He didn't do a sugar. He didn't do a metabolic panel. Otherwise we would have known. Um, and then I took him, he sent me over to an ENT to look at the parotid. Well, the EN, I went to two different ENTs because one was just kind of a mean guy and I didn't like him. And, uh, the other wanted to operate on him right away. And by that time I was in nursing school and we were learning a little bit about diabetes. And by that time, Nolan had started to wet the bed. Mm-hmm. So that was a big flash for me though. Well, he's wetting the bed. So I took him, they wanted to schedule surgery. And I said, well, shouldn't we just find out that he's not diabetic first because he's wetting the bed? And he said, no, he's wetting the bed because of his adenoid. And I said, that's it. And I said, give me his medical records. I took him over to my doctor who on December 20th, 2004 said, sure, we can do a blood sugar check. And Um, we did a blood sugar check and he was up in the seven hundreds, hadn't eaten because he'd been vomiting that day. I mean, um, he was diabetic and so he referred us to, I I imagine, right? He what? He was in DK as well. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. He had fruity breath, all, all the things that you look for. And they actually, he referred us to a pediatrician who was an internist at their office so he came in and scrawled down one U H four or Q fifteen one four U L Q D, meaning one unit for every fifteen carbs of humalog at meal time, and then four, times four units of Lantus daily. Yeah, and sent us home. Thanks. We didn't go to the hospital. Yeah, <laughs> my doc came in and said, uh, you know, arguably a lot of people would say you should go to the hospital. Do you want to do that? And at the time. I was an idiot. And I was like, well, no, the hospital means he's sicker. Okay. So we went home with no blood sugar meter with a script for insulin and a kid that we could very easily kill that day. Yeah. So, yeah. That's terrible. And it was, but that's how that happened. <laughs> yeah. What was, um, and at that time, if I'm, if I'm doing the math right here, Patrick's around four years old, maybe. So you have two small kids. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And are you a nurse now? Did you finish nursing school? I did finish nursing school. Yes. And yes, I'm an RN job. now. Okay. Yeah. Um, what was life like growing up with a kid who had type one? You know, what was, what was the pathway for you and, and for him? You know, I, I submerged myself into the diabetes world, spent every moment on, on websites and research and looking for why this happened. I, I, was still in school and in school it was funny because I was learning the opposite of what I was learning in real life about diabetes. So I had to really kind of temper myself for school and make sure I passed the tests by giving the wrong answers. Um, just because nursing care for diabetes is not very succinct. It's not very, uh, it's not what people with diabetes do. Okay. Um, I started to volunteer at diabetes camp 
we started sending Nolan to camp and I just really immersed myself in the world of diabetes to the point that, you know, I think my family missed me. I think I missed him a little bit. I think that I, I put so much into this tragedy that happened to my son um, and trying to make it better and trying to find the best care for him and do the best that I could for him that I think in some ways I kind of lost him. I forgot that he was a whole person. You just saw the di- you just saw the diabetes. I saw him too, but I felt so I've just really wanted to make it as good as possible, you know, and just really make sure that he was getting the best care possible. Yeah. And that and that, you know, we we fought it. Was it not and, were things not good or was that just your perception that they you're trying to get them back to perfect? I think it's my perception. Okay. I think he was doing well. I mean, his, his A1Cs were all great. He was doing well. Um, he, he took it in stride. Like you wouldn't believe there were some battles when he got older, but he just really took it. Well, um, I think that just the regular things about a child kind of fell by the wayside. And I don't think anyone minded or thought any different of it. But in retrospect, I see that now that, you know, he was a musician. Um, we did we did music stuff with him. We took him to the conservatory and he did his drumming there and stuff. And and, you know, but I feel like it was always me following behind going, oh, you're sugar, you're sugar, you know, and, and you do. You have to. You have to make sure they're OK and not landing in the hospital. So really, it's a fine line taking care of a kid with diabetes. So, okay. Um, I I guess knowing the rest of the story is tainting how I'm asking my questions, but um, sure. But I guess there's no way around that, honestly. Sure. Um, Is there any chance that hindsight is making you think this? Like, when did you start coming to this conclusion? I guess. I think I started coming to the conclusion. I think I came to it right away. I think I came to it right away, realizing this is, this is, I'm making a choice and this is the most important thing. Um, making sure that he stays alive and, and that he is in good control and that he doesn't have complications later. Um, so I think hindsight does taint it. Um, I don't regret anything I did and I wouldn't do it differently because you, you can't, you do what you do mm-hmm. when, when it's going on. And, and I would do, so much of it just like I did because you do have to you have to advocate for your child and I did a lot of that um you know you have to go to bat for them you have to argue with the school you have to you have to the school nurse is either your ally or your enemy um and that can get that can get really touchy too I don't think I would do a whole lot different though I think there's days when I think that I would um but what I would have done differently would have led to him leaving us sooner. So like if I just allowed him to do everything the way he wanted to do it, he would have been gone sooner. Okay. The technology back then. So uh, Nolan's diagnosed in 2004. Is that right? Yes. That's two years before Arden was diagnosed. So our technology path is going to be very similar because there was no, there was no great leap from 2004 to 2006. No, there wasn't. So you were get, you probably had, I mean, maybe a pen if you were lucky, but needles and a small meter. That was, 
all your gear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he started pumping though. Yeah. He did. Pretty soon. Okay. Mm-hmm. So your 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 focus is on trying to keep his blood sugars stable, trying for him not to be too high or too low, aiming for that A1C every three months because pretty much feels like your only ability to understand how well you're doing. And that was right. the extent of it. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, Was he having a lot of lows or highs? Do you recall? He had a few lows. He didn't have a whole heck of a lot of lows and his highs were like under 200. So he wasn't really, he was really in good control. I think his first A1C was five something. And then he just slowly made a climb. Like I think the highest he had before he was 18 was in the sevens. Yeah. Okay. So um, you know, he was usually around six, Okay. you know, six and a half, seven. And so he did really well until he got older. And so through, uh, regular elementary school, middle school, he was doing fine. Um, did he start to ignore his diabetes at any point as he got older? Middle school, he started, he wanted to take, take it into his own hands more. And I was told at the very beginning, as soon as he was diagnosed is you need to let him, it's his diabetes. You need to let him do his stuff. Okay. So I tried my hardest and that was excruciating (laughs) because he would, you know, middle school, he, he just kind of got tired of it. I would say, do you have your kit? Yes, I have my kit. Can I see it? No, I have my kits in my bag. I already put it in my bag, mom. Okay. So I take him to school and I'd get to work on the other side of town and I'd get a phone call from the nurse that said, no one forgot his kit. And there it was in my car. It had fallen out of the bag, but this happened so often, mm-hmm. like almost daily. And he would start to lie about his blood sugars and, um, you know, 107, it's 109, you know, and, and finally realized that if he was going to lie, he should give me a believable number. <laughs> it's 210. You know, I mean, he, he just became really resistant to having diabetes right? and he was tired of it. He didn't like it, but he also, that's when mental illness starts showing up as well. And that's when he started showing a lot more signs of mental illness as well Okay, is middle school. And, and-, and so he had. Yeah, I'm just sorry. behaviors and stuff like that. And he would get in trouble at school. And I mean, it just became a whole lot to deal with. Right. Were those mental illnesses ever diagnosed? Yes. He was diagnosed with um, bipolar disorder when he was, oh, I want to say 18. Mm-hmm. Um, he was diagnosed with ADHD at a young age, which we know now that a lot of ADHD in children shows up later as bipolar disorder. Um, they're on the same spectrum. I didn't know that until recently, but, um, so a lot of kids are misdiagnosed and medicated and that's what happened to Nolan. Okay. I don't want to say he was misdiagnosed. You can have ADD and bipolar disorder. Right. So he was being medicated for the ADHD when he was younger. Um, yes. How, how does yes. The, how does the, how, what, can you remember the first time you thought something's really wrong? Like how does bipolar show itself the first time in your situation? I think the first time I realized something was really wrong. My daughter has been using the Contour Next One blood glucose meter for quite some time now, years in fact. 
and it is absolutely without a doubt my favorite blood glucose meter. I know it's odd that I have a favorite, but I do. She's used others in the past, and I don't want to malign anybody, but I didn't like them. This one, hmm, this one's good. Contour Next One. Head over now to contournext.com forward slash juice box to find out more. Here, I'll do it with you. I'll just type into the browser. <clears throat> contournext.com forward slash, do you want to hear me typing? Hear that? I really am. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Now, you're there, right? You're looking at it with me. Picture it in your mind. It's a beautiful website set up by a genius. I honestly, I, I believe that this is maybe one of the best websites I've ever seen in my life for a product. Anyway, you head over there. If you want to just buy the thing, buy online, big orange button on the right side. You click it and it gives you links for Amazon, CVS, Kroger, Rite Aid, Target, Walgreens. It's all there. Or you just read more about it and go ask your doctor. Say, hey, can I get a script for this contour next one thing? Sounds like the meter I'm looking for. Why do I care? Well, how about blood glucose test strips that offer simple solutions for your testing needs? No coding, proven accuracy, fast test times, small blood sample, second chance sampling, which allows you to apply more blood, which may help you prevent wasting a test strip and help you save money, perhaps. Oh, now you're interested, aren't you? Listen, forget all the things they want me to say. Here's what's the best thing about this meter. I'll run through it right now. It is really accurate. It's easy to read, easy to use. It's got a bright light for when you're using it at night, and it's super simple to store and carry. Fits in your pocket, your bag, I don't care where. The darn thing is amazingly small, but not so small that you fumble with it. It's the perfect size. That's my opinion. You know, my hands are big. Um, I, when things are too small, I have trouble. You know what I'm saying? Um, but anyway, the Contour Next one's the right size. I think you're going to like it. Contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com. Uh, or you can just type it into your browser. I don't really care how you get there as long as you use my link because that really helps the podcast. This meter's terrific. I think you're going to love it. Give it a look. When you're done, head over to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox, fill out the survey, and then round out your interneting with Touched by Type 1. Beautiful place. Love it. Touched. Classic spelling by Type 1. Just the numero one. The numero one. <laughs> when you get there, you're going to find out about a place whose mission is to elevate awareness of Type 1 diabetes, raise funds to find a cure, and inspire those with diabetes to thrive. They have all kinds of stuff going on. Check out the programs tab at touchedbytype1.org. All right, that's it. Thanks so much for supporting the sponsors of the podcast. I'm going to get you back to Jen now. You know, I guess when he got kicked out of middle school, he got kicked out of middle school because he bought a marijuana joint from a kid in the bathroom. Now, the kid that sold it to him got to stay in school. I'm not sure how that worked out. But being diabetic and being one of the only diabetic kids at his middle school, and on top of that, the only diabetic kid with with a 504. Is it a 504? I can't even remember mm -hmm. now. With a care plan. Yeah. Um, and a mom that was involved. They were really happy to get rid of him. And I thought that, but I thought, no, Jen, you're just being paranoid. That's not why. But, um, yeah, they're happy to get rid of the diabetic kid <laughs> who they have to answer to, the parent right. of. Um, and that was a theme that kind of went 
went around. Like him and another kid would get in trouble and he was always the one that got in more trouble. Um, what so he bought, he, what he bought was a fake marijuana joint in the bathroom Oh, in middle school, but that's what happened. And he got kicked out. <laughs> well. So he went to alternative school and then an alternative school. They had, you know, trouble getting him to listen. And the teachers really sat and talked to me and said, look, you know, I'll ask him to do the sweep the floor. And I come back in an hour and he still hasn't done it. Like he's, this is a problem. And that's when I really started realizing that there was some, some issues with him. He, seemed absolutely normal mm-hmm. but his functioning level was not he just compensated so well so there was you didn't see the big swings it wasn't manic and then depressed it didn't go back and forth like that unfortunately uh you know with high blood sugars we get moody it was hard and to so i did see mood swings but we didn't know, is it, is it at first we thought it's diabetes stuff. It's diabetes stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is. And then we thought, well, it's bipolar stuff. And it also is. And there's just no way of knowing which one it's related to. Right. Um, keeping him on the bipolar medications was, was hell. <laughs> he didn't want to take them. They make you feel crappy. I would find him hidden. You know, they'd, they'd been in his mouth. They were hidden. I'd check his mouth. They show me that you swallowed. Like, it was like jail. Right. And he just didn't like them and wasn't going to take them. And most people with bipolar disorder don't like the medications because there aren't really very good medications. Right. Yeah. And so this just persists on, I mean, he wasn't really going to middle school anymore. Like, alternative school doesn't sound like, it's not, it's not a public situation, right? No, it's for kids that are kicked out of middle school for behavior stuff. So, you know, he got put in behavior classes when he was in high school, he went to regular high school. Um, and the behavior classes were such that they were in the basement when the regular kids walked by for lunch, the behavior kids were made to turn around and face the wall. Um, it was, it was not good. Um, I'm not sure he really didn't, he never fought. He never had sold drugs in school. He, he just was, he he was kind of a jerk, you know, (laughs) he would giggle and not do what he was supposed to do. And he had fun when he was in school with other kids. Um, So I think that he, uh, I always said he glowed in the dark because of the diabetes, because of the involved parent. Um, I remember going into the school and it was the first day of school. I had to go have my meeting with the nurse. And three or four different type kid, type one kids at the high school walked in and the nurse said, okay, what is this your insulin? What do you, how much do you take? And they're like, I don't know. How often do you check your blood sugar? They're like in the morning and at lunch. And she's like, okay. And you take how much? She's like, they're like five units. And she's like, okay. And that was their plan. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's crazy. (laughs) Like, you know, these parents aren't involved at all. Um, Well, you have obviously intersecting issues that were all coming together. The sure. Same like you've got the diabetes Absolutely. and then the bipolar comes. And even yes. if there was ADHD early on. Um, and then I imagine at some point drug use ramps up. Yep. Then he started with drug use and he started smoking marijuana and taking pills from kids. Um, and he did that for a few months and was just ridiculously tired of it. And I remember getting a text message him from him at my job 
And it said, mom, we need to get me help, real help. I can't keep doing this. I don't want to keep doing this. And I just cried. So I started trying to find him help. How old was he at that point? He would have been about 16. Okay. I want to say 15. I'm sorry. He was about 15. And I was working at the hospital in a clinic and I would spend every break time calling and calling um, PMIX, which they're called PMIX. They're for um, kids with medical and substance abuse issues or behavior issues. And they, they're all medical. The M in PMIC is for medical. None of them would take him. He had Iowa Medicaid and I could not find a single place in Iowa to take him because of the diabetes. They said they were not equipped to deal with somebody with type. They weren't comfortable. They weren't equipped. They didn't have a nurse. Yeah. I've heard this a lot on the podcast uh, when people yeah. are trying to get extra help for their kids that have you know, extenuating issues and yeah. And then places are always like, well, we don't take kids with type one happens a lot. And it's ridiculous. So I called the American diabetes association and I got an advocate who sent a letter and they, I got in touch with a social worker who wanted to advocate for him. Mm-hmm. And we forced a couple of places to take him and oh. they would kick him out. They would find a reason to kick him out. One of them said, uh, there was a bunch of kids that ran away and Nolan opened the door to let him back in when they came back and he mumbled something about, well, I want to run away or something. And they said, up, oh, that's it. You're done. You're type one. If you run away, you'll die. It's a liability. Wow. Jeez. And that's, and they kicked him out. They made me come pick him up on Easter. And that was over in Fort Dodge. They, I asked for his medical records because I was going to deal with the advocate on it. And they, um, you know, told me my kid was not an angel. And I said, well, I didn't think he was an angel, (laughs) but thank you. But I do think you should keep him in treatment facilities. Um, You know, just, it seems wrong and people have really a lot of trouble believing, oh, they won't say no because of diabetes. Yes, they absolutely 100% will. Hmm. And that is a tragedy. Yeah. Well, where does that, where does this all lead to? I mean, the, that's a rehab. It's not, I mean, he's not getting, you know, what he needs from there. Obviously they're, they're kicking him out of there. Now he's back on you. Are you married um, during this? Um, I, he's, his dad and I divorced in 2009. Um, so his dad is an alcoholic. This, that plays into a lot of his problems. His dad's an alcoholic with major mental illness. Um, in fact, his father right now is missing. We don't know where he is. Mm -hmm. He, was eluding the police uh, about three days before Nolan passed away and uh, is jumped in the river <laughs> and faked his own death, uh, faked his own suicide, and now is hiding from the police. Wow. That's so that's, that's, yeah, it's really an interesting twist. <laughs> it's I, I, a little drama. I'm not looking to go down his path. But what kind <laughs> yeah, of, no. what kind of um, mental illness for him? Well, I would say schizophrenia, but he's not diagnosed, but definitely bipolar. Okay. But he has a lot of paranoia. Um, you know, he's just really smart guy, very talented musician, um, just really clocked out of his kids' lives and, mm-hmm. and was an abusive person. So, gotcha. um, yeah, okay. mo- mentally abusive. Right. So like d- that. So does Nolan's drug use, like, it, because I'm thinking back to when he says to you, I, I don't, I can't do this. I don't want to do this, but, but 
he was, I'm assuming, self-medicating at that point, trying to get around it. Did sure. he eventually go back to it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He okay. didn't ever stay sober for too long. Um, you know, self-esteem and all that kind of plays into into your choices. Um, he really had trouble staying sober. And he got into, you know, he drank sometimes. It was never his drug of choice, but he did start using methamphetamines probably when he was about 17. Um, we would take him to the hospital. I would find him, you know, I'd find him downstairs in DKA. We'd take him to the hospital. And after we'd have him in the hospital in the ER, ICU, um, then we'd go to psych and psych would be able to send him somewhere because what we wanted to do was find a place that would get long-term treatment and maybe get him out of Sioux city um, halfway house, that kind of stuff. Right. But the, they did, so he would go to Cherokee, which was the mental institution. And that's the one place that would always accept him, mm-hmm. but it would happen the same way. Every time ER, we'd start making the calls. We'd go to the ICU. We'd spend another couple of days making the calls and, um, eventually Cherokee would always be the place that would take him. And so they'd take him up in the ambulance up there. Sometimes he would pull out his own IVs and try to walk out of the hospital and have to be stopped by the, by the uh, security there. Um, But they always would take him and um, he turned 18 up there in Cherokee. We went, all the family went up for his birthday party. We, always kept in really good contact with him. Um, his grandparents on both sides were very supportive. His brother and sister and I would always go up and visit. And his dad tried to visit a few times. Um, sometimes he wouldn't see him, his dad. So it just back and forth with Cherokee and finding different placements and, Mm. and just in and out of treatments for the last seven years. Yeah. Jen, I try my hardest to just sort of stay dispassionate while I'm having these conversations, but Nolan had his 18th birthday party in a facility that almost made me cry for some reason. I really, I mean, we've been talking for a half an hour. Nothing you've said has been like, you know, right. It's not happy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and yet that got me. uh, Yeah. He went, he, he went from the pediatric unit to the adult unit on his 18th birthday. Hmm. And, um, we took pictures. We, they let us use a party room there. So we all drove up to Cherokee, me, grandma, grandpa, Dean, grandma, grandpa, um, Percello, and, and just all the family went up and his brother and sister, and we were able to have this birthday party and it was just very bittersweet. Let me ask you a few questions about this from your perspective. So now at this time, it's been a few years. Um, he's 18. Are you hopeful that this is going to get turned around or is this a thing you live in every day that you're just like waiting for the other shoe to drop? Like what's the, what's the feeling in the back of your head? Oh, okay. Yeah. Both. Like I, I think at that point I had hope, but every time something else would happen, it was a shoe dropping and there was always a shoe dropping so many shoes. And I think we, I always held out hope, but I always knew in my heart somehow that Nolan was like a gift that was on loan. If that makes sense. I see. 
ever since he was a little baby, I kind of knew that. And, you know, he started overdosing. He would be fine for a little while and then there'd be an overdose or there'd be, you know, finding him comatose, calling the paramedics to come get him. He's having behaviors um, big time, just breaking everything in the house. He just, and, and I had hope, but I saw him suffering so much. Mm-hmm. And that was the hardest part. It was to see somebody you love so much that you brought here, you know, that didn't ask for an invitation and to see them suffer like that, to see him suffer with the diabetes ruined me um, when he was diagnosed. I just, it was the worst thing that could have happened. And, and I don't know why, because it is not the worst thing that can happen, but it's pretty bad news. It's really hard for parents to go through that. Yeah. I took it really hard. Yeah, um, no, I, I can tell you did. I, I can tell and, how you, yeah. you talked about throwing yourself into it, how devastating oh, it was. It was it was everything. I just wanted it to go away because, and I think I think because you know we saw little problems with him before when he was a kid. Um, I think I thought, just why him? Why not someone who can handle it better? Why not me? And I said, God, give it to me instead. And then. God misheard me. He thought I said as well. (laughs) (laughs) Or why anyone? I know. Why anybody? No. I just need to ask you just for context here. Do you have any mental health issues? Um, I have ADD Mm -hmm. and I have some depression. Um, so yeah, I, I, those are mental health issues. Yeah. I think my doctor asked me if I was bipolar probably <laughs> i guess mildly i've always been really functional um but when i was a little kid in school the add was that wasn't a thing then right. i mean i'm 48 years old we didn't have medicine for that really yeah, there were just um, kids that didn't listen yeah, yeah, yeah. they're or lazy they like calling me lazy i hate that word i hate it how about your I other just, you know your other two kids how were they so patrick is I would say the perfect child or what they call the family hero. He has very few problems. He does struggle with depression, um, but he does seek help for it when he needs to. He's really ideal in the sense that he's been very self-sufficient. He's very um, caring and kind, very funny, um, just very healthy and forward moving. Now mm-hmm. um, he, no one was his best friend. He lost his best friend. Yeah. Um but he's really pushing to to do some things now in life that he might have had on hold. So he's I you know I don't think anyone in my family is 100% healthy, but Patrick's pretty good. Lemon, um, my 13 year old, she's wonderful. I think she's just an amazing kid too. She's learning to play guitar. She's working on a feminist fanzine that she's doing. She's just really a cool kid Mm. she does struggle with all the trauma that she's seen in her life with her brother um and the dynamic between her brother and i i think it's got to be so hard for both of them to go through because with the drug addiction there was just a lot of anger and and unhappiness and so many tears and so much trauma um and with the diabetes and both of us being diabetic and moody and just Mm -hmm. You know, Nolan and I were a lot alike in some ways. Um, I always say he got the worst of me and his dad, and then it was amplified. Um, 
but he's really, you know, I think they've, I think both of my other kids are, are very fortunate to be very bright and very uh, aware of their own situations. Are there other um, autoimmunes with anybody, celiac, thyroid, anything? So I would say that Patrick, who will not go to a doctor about it, has possibly got like IBS, celiac or something. He does have some stomach problems, but no, nobody's been diagnosed yet. Okay. Uh, How about your ex's side of the family? Do you have any knowledge of them? They don't have any, and I'm close with the family. They don't really have any autoimmune, you know, they've got cancer in their family, but no, and heart problems, but no autoimmune. Okay. Okay. Um, so I want to kind of fast forward a little bit now, because I'm assuming that from 18, 19, 20, 21, it's just probably story after story of yeah. hard, hard times and craziness and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Are you absolutely, how, how did you take care of yourself during that time? Well, that's a really good question. In all honesty, I don't think I did. Um, I, I, I stressed a lot. I worried constantly. I wasn't sleeping. Um, one night I had thought, well, I can't sleep. This is so stressful. Let me have a glass of wine. And, um, so I started drinking wine to go to sleep and it didn't take very long until I was a full blown alcoholic. I could not stop. I checked myself into the hospital in a, what I like to call a bold career move because I live in a very small town. Mm. Um, and I went to treatment so that I could stop drinking and I haven't drank since that was three, almost three years Good for you. that I ago. Yeah. yeah. But I, 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 if I didn't believe that addiction is an illness, I would be ashamed, but, I I wish I hadn't taken that first drink. You know, I didn't drink at all before that for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, it got me. Yeah. You you, so you were, it, it, I mean, was there a moment when you, like, did you see the juxtaposition? Did you say, well, I'm medicating myself yeah. the way that Nolan is? Oh, yeah. 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 I said, I saw it right away. I saw it right away, but I couldn't stop. I went to meetings, AA meetings, and got my 24 hour chip probably 24 times. Hmm. You know, I, I wasn't able to physically stop. I was having withdrawals and all of that. And it was, life had become, so stressful that I had just, I guess I kind of threw myself into drinking. Um, and I kind of had given up. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, at what point during all this do you just go, all right, everybody get in the garage, let's start the car and go to sleep. Like, like yeah, you, seriously. Like, I at felt what like point, it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I felt like it, not with the other two kids, but honestly, I had ideas of, you know, I felt so, Nolan, he doesn't fit anywhere in this world. There's no help for him. I can't help him. Nobody seems to care. He doesn't, you know, he just, I can't get the help that he needs. He doesn't belong on this planet and I'm just going to take him with me. I had thoughts like that. And that's terrible. That's terrible. But I didn't want him to go alone. I can understand. You know? I mean, what you're, yeah. just, it's not one, listen, my kids got type one diabetes and, you know, thyroid and, you know, you know last night, for example, her toes got numb, which seems to be happening out of nowhere. <sighs> um, and, you know, like there are things like that, that you think, well, these things suck, but we're going to get through life like 
reasonably well, right? Right. But at what right. point? What point does someone just pile one too many pebbles on the pile? It's on your head, and you just think, I can't. I just can't. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's not only that you can't shoulder it, but that that none of the things about life that make life pleasurable exist anymore because you have diabetes, you're depressed, you're drinking, he's doing drugs, he's got diabetes, he's bipolar. There's no second in the day that I can imagine for you where you were just like, you know, leave it to beaver. Like none of that existed for you. Oh, no. Yeah, right, right. I mean, I still made dinners for him. I still did like a lot of mom stuff, but I, I clocked out. And and for about, a, about 18 months, I clocked out. And then, you know, I clocked back in and I knew that things wouldn't be perfect when I clocked back in. You know, there were times when when I would be so drunk that Nolan would pick me up and carry me to bed up the stairs. And I just thought that was so funny at the time. Oh, isn't it funny? And it wasn't funny. I mean, it's it's really sad. Yeah. But we also had that mutual love for each other that we cared for each other so much that, you know, he wanted to take care of me, too. Um, and when I wasn't drinking, he couldn't take care of me. And that caused some sadness for him. But it got to a point, uh, I spent so much of Nolan's life so afraid of him dying, just petrified that he's dying. And then one day, I realized that now, more than being afraid of him dying, I was afraid of doing this when I'm 80. I see. Like, that this is never going to stop. Deal. It's never going to stop. And I became more afraid of, of that than him dying because I knew he was unhappy. I knew that I was unhappy. I knew that my other two kids were suffering and it was becoming a burden on everybody around us because with drug addiction comes so much manipulation and so much pain for the people. Like my mother could never say no to him for anything, you know, and, and because she loved him and he would manipulate and cause harm. You know, he would, take things from people, sell them for drug money. Um, what drug addicts do. Yeah. Are you, are you saying so, I'm, I'm going to, this might be ham fisted for a second. I got to get through this thought, but are you saying that at some point it, it, it mimicked, I don't know, like someone being born with so many birth defects or so many medical issues that you think to yourself, like, this is not, this person's not equipped to live life even. And, and you start thinking about yeah. that idea of like, maybe this is just a failed experiment and it's not fair to them to be in this situation. I think after I picked him up out of comas so many times and had him go to the hospital and psych. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he had said to me himself, you know, I, I had complained to him about it. Like, Nolan, this is hurting me so much to see you in the state that I see you in almost dead. Like the time before, he died that he went to the hospital. His body temperature was 87. Mm. That's dead, but mm. he lived through it. And the doctor told me he's going to have really bad brain damage. And damn it. If he wasn't fine, mm. like he was fine, except for <laughs> he wasn't fine. Yeah. It was still but himself. he probably lost some impulse control, but he didn't, you know, they said he was going to be a vegetable. And I'd said, well, we're not going to keep him around as a vegetable. That's not what he wants or what anyone wants. But yeah, you're, you're right. It was like, it felt like that. Yeah. You know, now that you say that, it felt it felt a lot like that. This is that I was doing him more harm by keeping him around. And he had even told me, Mom, stop saving me. Maybe it's my time to be an angel. Oh, 
And I thought, oh, but that he could think that is one thing. But for you to hear it and to think, well, he might be right. That's another, yeah. that's another thing. Like, like his, yeah. ex, his existence felt cruel to him. It, it did. Yeah, it did. Okay. I mean, the, the, the existence with diabetes is cruel. The existence with diabetes and bipolar disorder with schizoaffective traits, that's mean. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. not, that's terrible. And then in that situation, the drugs are inevitable, actually. I mean, I've spoken, absolutely, I've spoken to enough people who have uh, bipolar to know that the drugs are, are inevitable after that. So, yeah. Um, and, and, and you, you describe something that I don't want to skip over. And I also don't want to make you dig through it too deeply because it sounds painful, but, um, the one thing I think maybe we're not talking about is that being lost on drugs doesn't exactly set you up for taking care of your blood sugars well. So, oh, no. right. So not only is he kind of obliterated on what was the drug of choice by the end? Methamphetamines. Meth. Okay. Not only is that happening, but on top of that, wildly out of control blood sugars. Oh yeah. Right. He became septic probably five times and had to go to the hospital in the last year of his life. Um, he tested positive, you know, he tested his blood sugar was in the 1500s. Um, when they had him in the ICU, one of the times it took him three days to get it down below 700. I feel like it was ridiculous. Um, he had sepsis, which is deadly. He had tested positive for tuberculosis. <laughs> Like the kid made it through so much, but his body say. was done. His yeah. body just, the havoc that that wreaked on his body, Man. you know, his I, poor body. And he, I just look at him and I think, God, what a beautiful kid he was. And all the things that were going on inside of it, the brain and, and his body. Hmm. Was, uh, if, if, if I give you a magic wand and you can lift away one of his troubles, I'm guessing it's the mental illness stuff, right? And it's funny you say that because when he was a kid, it was always the diabetes I'd take care of. It's always the diabetes um, that I would take away. But once the drug addiction started, it was definitely the mental illness I would take away because that would help. That would have that would have made it easy to recover from drugs, easier to recover from drug addiction. This is a, maybe a maybe this question's not clear, but or maybe it is. But um, if you take the bipolar away, do you think he was still an addict? Or do you think the drugs were a function of the bipolar? I think the drugs were a function of the bipolar. Okay. For sure. I don't think he would have tried the drugs um, at all. He was so impulsive as a kid. You know, if someone said this feels good, he would have tried it. Hmm. Um, and he was always that way. Very impulsive. Gotcha. Um, okay. So uh, anyway, geez, Jen, give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you're living through it because it's it's on top of me now. Um, no, no, I'm okay. It, it is. Please, no, it I don't is, want so. you. I don't want you worrying about me. It's just um, I'm just listening very intently to what you're saying, and I'm I'm thinking ahead and trying to imagine things, and it's a lot all at once. Um, yeah. So when do I know? When do I see you? Like pop up in the Facebook page? Like what, what got you there? Like what made you find, did you find the podcast first or the Facebook page first? I found the Facebook page first. Okay. And I think out of all the Facebook pages that I belong to for the, for diabetes, this was the one that was, that was good that had, that was more real to me. 
Um, and I posted something about, has anyone else ever struggled with meth addiction? I was reaching out. This was the last time that he was in the hospital. Um, was it? Maybe it was when he was in treatment and he went to the hospital in Champaign when he lived in Champaign, Illinois, and he was in treatment there. I had just said, you know, my son's in the hospital. He's, has anybody else ever struggled with the meth addiction? What do you do? You know, what is this? Um, you know, just reaching out. And the response that I got from people was one, so supportive and two, so much response. And I was just, I was shocked I, because most people kind of ignore that kind of thing. Most, um, especially parents of diabetes, they don't want to, they don't want to hear it. <laughs> they don't want to see that that could happen. Um, they just, it's, it's, it's too much to think about for sure. And that's something I thought about. I don't want to worry parents of new diabetics by yeah. any means. That's nice of you. I, I listen, I, I often have this thought while I'm making the podcast and seeing all these people's lives virtually. Yeah, that, you know, people, you know, babies are born every second. There's just countless numbers of them. And they're all going to go in slightly similar and slightly different directions. And some kids are going to sure. end up being alcoholics. And some kids are going to end up not. And some kids are going to end up on drugs. And some kids aren't. Some kids are going to be incredibly kind. And some people are going to be mean and like blah, 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 blah. Right. And, right. and when you... You have this idea when you're when your kids are younger and they get diabetes, like, oh, this is the thing they're going to be, except those people still end up being alcoholics, drug addicts, nice people, mean yes. people, et cetera. You don't you don't think of that when they're eight. And I'm you know, I, I can hear when you're talking about Nolan even, I feel like you picture him sometimes like he's six, seven years old when he's just nothing but possibilities. Yeah. 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 Right. And, and I saw that throughout his life. I still, till the, till the day he died, well, maybe a couple of weeks before I stopped kind of, but he was doing so poorly, but I still had fleeting moments till the day he died of feeling hope for him Yeah, and you know, what a smart guy he is and what he could do. You know, he, he was very smart mm -hmm. And he um, was such a talented drummer and an artist and just all of these things. And I, I thought, you know, he had just gotten a tattoo gun for his birthday. His grandma said, that's what he wants. Should I get it for him? And I said, who cares? <laughs> like at this point in his life, get him whatever makes right. him happy. We're all riding this rocket right into the ground. Grandma, yeah. let's go for it. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. yeah. And he wanted to tattoo me and I was actually going to let him after he, you know, showed that he could do a tattoo on himself. And so he did a tattoo on himself, which he had done when he was younger anyway, with the kid made a tattoo gun out of a remote control car mm. motor. <laughs> like he was 10 or 11 when he did that. He just was smart, but, but deviant because who wants their kid to tattoo themselves? <laughs> what a weird, but, what a weird parenting moment. My child has fashioned another device out of a device, except he'd exactly. like to draw a picture of Scooby-Doo on himself. So now I'm not sure yes, what to do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he tried to, he tried to tattoo the word love on his arm, but I confiscated his gun. So he only had the first two letters. So it said L O. So I called it his British tattoo. I'd say, hello. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he got so mad. <laughs> So, but, so, so back to where you were at in that Facebook group, like you come in, you ask that question, what I saw, and I can't see the whole group, like it's too big for me to like sure. you know, stay on top of, but, um, 
what I saw was a lot of just support for you. I don't think people had a lot of um, practical advice, but there was there wasn't no. a, a ton of kindness. Absolute, so much kindness. Yeah, was that so much kindness? Was that actually helpful for you, or absolutely, you, yeah. absolutely? And a lot of people saying, "Yes, my sister's a drug addict," or this and that, and just talking about people who had addiction in their family. It just opens up the conversation for people, and it's so liberating hmm. because. You don't go around, you know, everyone's got that bumper sticker that says, you know, my son's an honor roll student. You don't say, hey, my son got into a really good treatment facility. Yeah, right. I would, I would, but, <laughs> but, um, they don't make that bumper sticker, <laughs> you know, but, my, but shouldn't they? <laughs> yeah. 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 My son handles meth fine. <laughs> Just, you know, yeah. no way to do that. <laughs> um, so, so he gets put into treatment around the time you're on the Facebook group and then gets out and then it happens again. Am I remembering yeah. that right? Yep. He came back to Sioux City and he relapsed pretty quickly. And then he had, I want to say, two or three more stints in the hospital. And Diabetes related stuff? It was always for diabetes, but it was always because, so what would happen would he would do the meth and he would be up on meth for several days and then he would go to sleep and people on meth sleep for several days at a time. Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, Nolan doesn't have several days to sleep because he needs to take insulin. So many times I would kind of try to follow his pattern. I would go to where he was. I would give him insulin. I would find his insulin and give it to him. And, and that was another thing His insulin was never kept in a good way. You never knew if it was expired or what, you know, what you were, you'd give him whatever. Right. Um, and sometimes he would fight you. And if he was going to punch me, I wouldn't do it. You know, I would say, okay, we're going to go. I, I love you. Goodbye. But I would try pretty hard to get his insulin in him. Um, it's a miracle that he lived through that as many times as he did. So he would wake up and take insulin and, you know, his sugar would come down and he'd um, be fine for a week or two and then he'd start up again. So this pattern, it was hard to follow the pattern because it changed. Testing. Give me a testing. Yep. Testing. Okay. Sorry. So you were trying, you tr- you were trying to find a pattern you and you couldn't. So when you went and visited yeah. him, you were visiting him like in the, like where he was held up using it wasn't like, was he even living on his own or was he bouncing around or he was homeless for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, on his birthday, um, September 16th, my mom let him move back in. He was already kind of staying. He would go there to shower during the day and stay for a really long time. And she would make him leave at night. That was our, you know, we were trying to do the tough love. Like you can't do drugs and stay here, but she just couldn't. And I'm glad because he died at home and not on a street corner at my mom's house. And, um, yeah. So, and I had been, I was in Des Moines, so I was two and a half hours away. And then on the way home, um, I got a call from Patrick. And Patrick said, Nolan is cold and he's not, I don't think he's breathing. And I said, okay, call 911. And I had just left Des Moines and had two and a half hours to travel. And I called Dennis, who was driving in front of me, my fiance, and told him what happened. I said, I think Nolan's gone. And this is something we just were, it was a matter of time because he had just been in the hospital weeks before that. We just knew. And, um, 
you know, I hung up the phone and then I panicked and lost it and started crying. My yeah. youngest was with me and she started crying and we were just kind of panicking all the way home. Um, and then we got home and he was gone. The paramedics had come and uh, pronounced him dead. My mom lost her mind and, you know, it just, it was, it was a big family. And then we just kind of sat around and told stories about him and, it felt peaceful. Can I ask uh, you, um, you, you, you said you knew this was going to happen. I remember you being on line once and saying that he was in a rehab, but they kicked him out or something. And you were like, he's going to die. Like you were, you were positive like a week before this happened, that it was going to happen. Yes. This was, um, this, this was not in rehab. This, that was in the, uh, hospital. the psych facility in the hospital. And he was supposed to go to inpatient treatment. Um, and they had had him signed up to go to inpatient treatment, all the doctors. And I'm looking through the doctor's notes and everything. Everything says inpatient treatment. Well, the very last day, the nurse practitioner who has done this before several times um, let him go. And I called. I heard that they were going to let him go because he called and said, can you pick me up? And I'm like, hang on, let me make some calls. So I called and I talked to Sarah, the social worker, and I said, Sarah, you, she can't let him go. He's going to die. He almost died the last time. He, did she know he almost died? And she said, yeah. And I said, does she know that he's going to die if she lets him go? And she was quiet for a second. And then she said, yes. Mm. And I just lost it. I couldn't, you know. And then we picked him up and I picked him up and... um took him to my mom's we talked to her they decided he couldn't stay there if he was going to use and he said he's you know he wouldn't stay there and um he was homeless for a couple of weeks and that's and then he came back to my mom's he was at my mom's for another he was i suppose he was homeless for a week and he came back to my mom for two weeks and then that's when he died yeah well i'm very sorry that any of this happened um, Thank you. No, Me too. <laughs> of course. Can I ask you, was there any sense of like relief? Uh, that might be the wrong sure. word or peace or no, yeah. it's not a wrong word. Yeah. There was lots of sense of relief with it. I mean, because he wasn't suffering anymore. Um, you know, we had our first holidays and not only, I mean, I missed him so much and it was hard and it was sad, but when you have a drug addict, the holidays are not good times because you're constantly worrying about what is, what are they going to do? What are they going to show up and and have a problem with? How are they going to, you know, he would become very, his sugar would get really high and he would be extremely moody and mean and yell and verbally abusive. And just these things that would just very upset me so much, even though I knew that it wasn't coming from his heart, it's just upsetting. And so there's been relief. Um, but then there's been the extreme sadness and then the, the sadness for what his life should have been. Yeah. Versus um, what it became, right. You know, I hate to say should, because that's presumptuous, but I, I, what, what it could have been or what, you know, why did he have such a hard time? Yeah. You know, and all these other kids get to have nothing physically wrong with them. Um, you know, all kids with diabetes have such a hard time. Yeah. But then all the ones other that stuff too. What? All this other stuff on top of it, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
it's not fair. And I don't think life is supposed to be fair. Right. I'm not, I'm not one of those people, but I, I, it'd be nice if it was a little more fair. <laughs> yeah, a little more fair would be okay. Um, yeah. How long has he been gone now? So he died on October 3rd. Uh, 2021. So it'll be six months coming up soon here. It seems like longer. Mm. And so also it seems like yesterday too, sometimes. So has this, uh, I, I'm so, I so badly don't want to ask you these questions, but um, you can, ha, has, I'm pretty open. <laughs> has his passing made your other kids lives easier in some ways and harder in some yes. ways? It's hard for them because they lost their brother and their friend. Um, but it opened doors for sure. One, I've gotten to know them a little more now. So they kind of get their mom back, mm-hmm. which is nice. Um, we're learning to know each other a little bit now. Patrick is going to go to college now. He's never gone left town or anything like that because he's wanted to stay home in case something happened with his brother. Um, that was never asked of him, but it's just what you do. Yeah. for family. So yeah, some doors are opened. And I think that Nolan would have been very, very happy to open those doors. Mm. D- was he aware of the impediment that he was on other people's lives? I think so. Okay. And he was definitely aware um, of how much he impacted my life. Um, and he would say, don't do those things for me. He wanted independence. He wanted that, but we knew what would happen if he had it. And it did, you know, the more I pulled back, the more sick he got. And I, um, but, but pushing more and taking more control would have made his quality of life so poor because what 24 year old wants to be taken care of by their mother. I I think you're in a completely, listen, my understanding of all this is, is, you know, obviously not yours, but I've now interviewed two people who have, who are bipolar. Um, and now have this conversation with you about your son. Um, there's an after dark episode. I think it's back in the three hundreds. It's just called after dark bipolar. And it's with, it's with a young man who has type one and bipolar. And I'm telling you that if his experience was even anything like your son's, I don't understand how you're supposed to, I don't understand how you're supposed to win. You know, yeah. so I I couldn't see a path to it when I spoke to him. I, I don't see a path to it while I'm speaking to you. I think that you're either, um, I mean, I'm trying to figure out why you seem so okay right now. Um, or, or, I, I mean, how is it that? I think, I think that I'm okay. I guess. I guess it's who I am deep down. Like I, I said to the lady doing my eye exam, she had known me and known about my son and said she was sorry. And I said, you know, I got to think of it this way. I have two amazing children living and I got 24 years with an amazing, brilliant human who taught me a lot. Mm. And I have to think of it that way right. because there's no Any other way is, is, is very negative and, and really, and don't get me wrong. There are times when all I am is a bundle of tears and I just hate everybody around me and I have to curl up in a ball and go cry by myself and write sad stories and, and just feel incredibly sorry for myself and miss my son. Right. I, I have to do that sometimes, but then there's other days where I wake up and I, I feel that way and I, I let myself do it for half an hour 
and then I, I have to move on with the day. I do some yoga, I'll do some, you know, make some coffee and just read or meditate and then just go to work, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess I speak about it frankly because it is frank. Um, it's, it's, it's facts. Um, I miss him tremendously yeah. most of the time, but I still feel him here, if that makes sense. It does. When you close your eyes and you think of him, is he at a certain age? Yeah, I think of him at about 20, 21. Okay. Yeah, I think of him about 21. I mean, I I miss him as a little boy, but I think of him as perpetually about 21 with just a little bit of scruffy facial hair, um, messy hair, making some dumb joke, driving around with the dog in his car. Right. You know, his best friend was that dog, Tommy, and he, I'd be driving home from work and I'd see him pass me on the road, the dog sitting in the passenger seat, like a girlfriend. (laughs) And it was just the cutest thing in the world. So was he able to have any personal relationships? He had girlfriends and he had a lot of long-term friends, a lot more friends than I knew about because his funeral is packed full of kids. Um, he did have friendships and he had some girlfriends, but towards the end, I think the addiction, and he even said, who wants to go out with a drug addict? You know? And I said, well, yeah, I always hoped he'd find a girlfriend that would be like a nurse and want to take care of him. <laughs> but, Somebody but I didn't, yeah. I wouldn't want to do that to her either. Right. No, Cause I it's understand. too hard. Do you think, um, how how prevalent do you think that the drug problem is in your area in general? Oh, it's huge. It's yeah. huge. There's a lot of it here. Sioux City's, especially with methamphetamines, it's really big. And alcoholism is huge here too. Okay. It's kind of, you know, it's a conservative conservative area of Iowa where there's a lot of very poor people. And then there's your middle class. And then there's a lot of very wealthy people. Um, the poor and the wealthy are make up a huge portion of the population. And it's anytime you have those economic issues, you have people that are doing, I mean, some people use methamphetamine so they can work three jobs and they do it for years. Wow. Yeah. And not to make a ton of money just to keep going. Oh yeah. Just to pay the bills. Right. (laughs) It's sad. No kidding. It's sad. Jen, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you wish we would have talked about? I don't think so. I think you do a really good job asking good questions. Thank you. Um, I've been yeah. looking forward in an odd way to talking to you for a while. Um, Me too. Yeah. I just know that as the as the day gets closer and closer and I see your name um, coming closer to me on the uh, on the calendar, I just I don't want to do a bad job is how I start thinking as it gets closer. Um, oh, you, you know. do wonderful. You did great. I appreciate You made that. me feel good and no judgment. And I really like that. And the stuff you said to me before too, about this is real, this is real stuff and you don't want to sugarcoat things. I yeah. like that. No now, pun intended. Yeah. I just think that, um, I, I mean, listen, I, I, whoever would hear Nolan's story and judge him, I mean, has no, no, no idea oh, about health <laughs> or, you know, like it's just, there's only so many things that can get attached to you in the course of a lifetime and they're going to drag you down sure. at some point. Like, I mean, yeah. they're not like, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. men- mental illness is still completely misunderstood by some people. 
this this poor kid was he was just taking the paths that were available to him and yeah. none of them were good no, no you know and it's not that there was a good path available and he just decided not to take it i just don't think his options were in any way going to lead him to where anybody would hope for him to go yeah i agree yeah. i'm glad you said that no it sucks but i mean it does it, but we I, got 24 good years yeah no and i'm i'm really impressed with your excuse me <clears throat> i'm really impressed with your ability to to focus on the good stuff um thank you yeah no it's 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 really wonderful i i, I want to wish you a ton of success and are you taking care thank of you. yourself now how's your your type i now? am yeah i am yes good. i just passed my retinopathy test with no retinopathy so good i'm you. i'm happy with that because i'm old um <laughs> And yeah, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing good. I finally got myself the, you know, I'm on the Libre now and, and I'm taking a lot better care of myself now too. So in honor of Nolan, we always say that uh, everything goofy that we do, we say it's in honor of Nolan and everything, you know, but there's a lot of things I do in honor of him too. So Uh, listen, I, we didn't talk about him at all, but the bravest person in this story is the guy that's dating you. Yeah, no kidding. I know. Tell me about it. He's he's a lucky guy. Dennis is a really good person. He's you know he has a good you know his dad was a type one, so he has a lot of understanding of that too. Really? Well, I'm glad you found. I'm really happy. Like it made me happy to think that you that you have somebody. Yeah, you're the second person to say that today. So (laughs) yeah, you're right. It makes me happy too. Yeah. Well, I mean you've you've been through a lot too. You deserve it, and so have your children. I hope I hope Patrick goes off and. And builds a big life for himself. And and I, I think Lemon sounds like she has enough time to kind of process all this and 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 find her own way. So she's know, doing good. I'm glad for you. I am right. uh, thank you so respect. much. Of course. Once again, a big thanks to Jen for coming on the show and sharing Nolan's story. I also like to thank touchedbytype1.org and remind you to head over there and check them out. And the Contour Next One blood glucose meter, which you can learn more about at contournext.com forward slash juicebox. There's also links in the show notes of your podcast player and links at juiceboxpodcast.com to these and all the sponsors. Head over to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox and take that survey. And if you're interested in more After Dark episodes, I can tell you about them. Let me... Oh, wait, the music's... Just wait one second. There are so many more episodes in the After Dark series. A couple of ways you can find them, either at juiceboxpodcast.com, scroll down, you'll see them there. Or you can go to the private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast, type on diabetes, go to the top of the page, the page, go to the top of the page, Click on the Featured tab. There's some featured posts there. One of them says Juicebox Podcast Series. And there's a whole bunch of lists. A whole bunch of lists. There's lists of lists. Uh, No, seriously, there's um, these really great little graphics that break down different series. Uh, For example, uh, there's some special episodes. There's the Pro Tip Series, the Quick Start Guide, How We Eat, Diabetes Variables, Scott and Jenny Episodes. How to Bolus for Fat and Protein, and, right, wow, there's so many great lists here. Oh, there's a whole series about pregnancy, thyroid, and then After Dark. This is a, 
episode, what did we say at the beginning? 677? No, 678 of the podcast. But it might be like, oh gosh, let me, <clears throat> I can read them to you. First After Dark was at episode 274. It was about drinking. 283 was about weed. 305, trauma and addiction. 319 was sex with type 1 from a female perspective. 336 was depression and self-harm. 365 was sex with type 1 from a male's perspective. 372, divorce and co-parenting. 384, bipolar. 393, bulimia and depression. 399, heroin addiction. 422 is called After Dark Amy. Um, 450, psychedelics. 462, sexual assault, PTSD. 472, living with bipolar. 508, adult child of divorce. 531, diabetes complications, 545, eating disorder, 558, life struggles, 577, 50 years, 585, ADHD, cocaine, and abandonment. These are the titles. Uh, 606, childhood trauma, 618, sex worker, 627, male disordered eating, 651, recovery, and today, of course, 678, Nolan's story. Check them out. I, I think they're Uh, some of the more brave episodes of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.